Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation, episode 61. Um, if you want to find out more about us, what we're all about, what we do, who we are, then you can head to our new domain. I've got to say, our new domain is not 100% finished yet, but it's basically up and running, good to go. Uh, head to www.thedoc.nz, of course, the Department of Conversation, www.thedoc.nz. Uh, there are links there to future guests, uh, the DOC Facebook uh, feed is there, some information about the show, some photos and stuff as well, um, and also ways you can watch our content and listen to our content as well, thedoc.nz. Right, we are um, obviously proudly Dunedin-based, but we don't consider ourselves a, uh, a broadcast for Dunedin people. We consider ourselves a broadcast for anyone who wants to hear and listen to us. So we've often talked about, you know, not really maybe talking about local body politics that much because it's only really relevant to the people who live in the area. However... The more and more and more I've been thinking about it, the more I've been interested to talk to the Mayor of Dunedin. His name is Andrew Hawkins. He is young. He is 35. He is a Green Party member. And actually, the more I thought about talking to him, because he's got an interesting story, the more I thought about how the hell does local body politics actually work? Everyone listening has an involvement with local body politics, whether you're in uh, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, whether you're in Sydney or Los Angeles, whether you're in London, you've got a mayor and councillors and local body politics that impact you. So the conversation today with Mayor Aaron Hawkins really primarily is about local body politics and him uh, with a little bit thrown in there for the Dunedin people as well. So I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. We're live with Mayor Aaron Hawkins in Dunedin. Hello, sir. Kia Pat. We were just talking about... Thank you for coming in. Oh, pleasure. Thank Are you for the you officially the youngest mayor in New Zealand? No. Who is? Uh, a friend of mine, Campbell Barry, got elected as mayor of Lower Hutt, or Hutt City, as they trade as. He's yeah. 28. Wow. And another friend of mine ran for mayor of Westland. He's 24 and lost by 56 votes. Wow. I just saw that there was a new prime minister, new youngest prime minister... Oh, they just came up and part Finland? of yeah Europe, like thirty four or something. Yeah, leading an, an all female coalition cabinet. How progressive! All female. Wow, the, the party leaders of the parties that make up that coalition government. So wow. it's the, the Green Council or whatever they're called, and the Left Alliance and the Centrist Party. Yeah. We were just talking about Christmas presents, eh? And I thought that I'd see if I could afford my DCC rates. I can't afford them this year because <laughs> I didn't quite win my hundred thousand dollars. So, so I'm not going to pay them any money Next year, year, Pat, next yeah. year. I thought that this That's could be like a quid pro quo. <laughs> we'd have a chat and I'm, not, I'm only charging rates for this. Is that about right? It's a homeowner issue. You know, us renters don't have to worry about rates. Well, our landlords do and then they pass on. Everyone's, rates, everyone's, yeah. everyone's a rate payer, Jason. Doesn't anybody yeah, tell exactly. you otherwise? Yeah, exactly. Now, we um, we do a little show out of Dunedin, this this thing, that we kind of talk to the world, basically. Um, but I realised quite quickly that everyone in the world, everyone in New Zealand is involved in local body politics because everyone's got a council, everyone's got a mayor. Mm. And I just thought it might be interesting to have a chat about those things. I mean, you're newly elected, you're an interesting character, Green Party member, uh, you know, young for a, for a mayor, <laughs> um, ex-broadcaster. You know, it just it seemed like, well, let's do it. Good way to wrap, even though we're not wrapping, we've got one more after this, but wrap up the year. Are, are you a list MP? Am I a list MP? No, I'm not a member of parliament. I'm a, okay. I'm a, I'm a mayor. It's interesting. In, in 2014, in the first term of council, a colleague of mine uh, said about 
trying to set up a network for young people who were elected into local government yeah. and scoured all of the results and found all the people that looked young uh, <laughs> and emailed them and said, come to a meeting at our, at our AGM in Nelson. And it was a, a small group of us got together. But uh, the, the intention at that point was to make it for people who were 35 and under. Right. Uh, but in order to reach something resembling critical mass, we had to push the boat out a bit. And 40 and under was the definition that we had to work with as a young person in that, elected office. Well, that is, I mean, when you think about the history of elected offices, I mean, you know, older white men have been who have run the world for the past millennia. So under 40, probably, mind you, an older white man a thousand years ago probably would have been 40. <laughs> <laughs> and about this big. Yeah, something like that. But the but I think, you know, we've seen around the country in the last election a lot of strong young candidates and, and a lot of them got elected. I think we can probably start to look at whether that's a, a useful definition now, which I think is positive if we've managed to push that far in the other direction. What do you think a 28-year-old, a 34-year-old, a 35-year-old can bring to a community that maybe a 55-year-old, 60-year-old can't? I don't think it's so much about what you can do and other people can't do. Yeah. What I learned. And the first campaign I ran was in 2010. I was 25, I think, um, mostly out of protest at the lack of long-term decision-making or future focus in the decision-making at a local level. And so I said I'd run for mayor of Dunedin and lost spectacularly, thankfully, <laughs> um, but almost got elected to the city council. And, and two things, that process taught me two things. One is that there's no... Uh, one is that it's incredibly important, local government, in terms of the well-being of your community. Uh, and the second thing is that there's no magic number or magic amount of life experience that makes you a good or effective representative of your community. And so that was quite liberating, really, that you know, as a 25-year-old and then 29, I think when I finally got elected, that I didn't feel inherently less qualified or inferior to mm. senior colleagues that I had because... That's not how it works. It is a bit of a weird job as well mm. in that, in that I, I don't know quite how the pay scale works, but I would imagine paycheck, 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 didn't get back into office, no paycheck. Stops. Or is there like a three-month? No. So it literally stops. stops. So any of the, and I don't, I don't know about the situation in Dunedin, but I'm sure there are some councillors that didn't get back in in whatever settlement, if it's mm. their only mm. stream of income, stops. Yeah, and I have you know, friends and colleagues around the country who were in that position, and wow. you have to find an alternative income pretty quickly. Wow! If you're using it as your sole, yeah, or predominant force, form of income. Yeah. From your obviously, you are now involved in a network of since you've been elected of mm. local body politics around the country. Mm. Uh, do you find that most people that's their only gig, or are most people doing it on the well, not on the side, but as a as a part of another kind of portfolio of work? It depends where you are. So the remuneration authorities set how much you get paid and one of the big factors in, in what you get paid and what determines what you get paid in your area is the population of your area. Right. So I've got, you know, I've had friends in South Taranaki or fielding, or, you know, getting paid $23,000 a year, $25,000 a year. So by definition... To be a councillor or to be, to be To be a councillor. Okay, sure. Uh, and so you can't really yeah. hold that down as a... Well, it's difficult to hold that down as a, as a full-time That'll be tough, though, because I, I imagine the hours of work required wouldn't be any less than, say, someone in a councillor in Dunedin. Well, that's the argument they would make, and I, and I have some sympathy for it, and that um, the, the fundamentally the jobs we have are the same. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Bonita Bigham, would always make the case, that, you know, in my small rural community, I would guarantee that I would have more people turning up at my house 
asking me to fix things yeah. for them, that you would uh, living in, in a city to need. And, and she's probably right. Yeah. Because, you know, that's how small, I've, I've lived in small towns as a kid, you know, that's how small communities function. And so to suggest that they're doing somehow inherently less work for their community because there are fewer people in their district seems unhelpful but you know those are the decisions that have been made so tell me about your affiliation with the green party you're a green party member mm. um and and you have you've run on the green party ticket yep. so you're a part of the green party i mean you're a green party member yeah but that means how does that work because obviously you're not an mp no but you're a part of the party and you ran on the ticket and you're a mayor so within the green party makeup what how do you sit where do you sit what is it so one of the four charter principles of the Green Party is effectively local decision-making. Yep. So all of the decisions about getting involved, whether or not the party gets involved in local body elections, sit with the province or the local branch. Mm-hmm. So I was selected by our local branch to run. and it, Well, the branch decided they would run a campaign, uh, they would run a selection process. They selected me as their candidate alongside um, two others. They've raised the money, um, they ran the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and you are responsive, uh, you are, um, you know, you are, you are responsible to your well, city now because yeah. that's the job is representing the city as a whole, not just the people who voted for you, but um, but the the accountability sits at a branch level in terms of my party relationship. So does that mean that, um, I'm thinking about like we had Marama in here not too mm. long ago, does that mean what the Green Party on a national level is trying to do, those get kind of, when I say fed down, I don't mean like backhanded fed down, but those kind of edicts, those ideas, those policies come down and you try and implement a similar thing to be, to sort of make it work in parallel with the national body as well on a local level? That would be the ideal outcome. But I mean, you know, these things come as as much a surprise to me as they do to you. I mean, we're not involved in in setting the parliamentary agenda. Yeah. Um, But I think, I mean, New Zealand's, an anomaly in some ways. So the international experience often uh, for the movement has been, um, you know, in first-past-the-post systems, getting seats in a, in a central government and a federal government is hard. Yeah. So you work at a, at a, at a local level, and so they've been more active, particularly right. in England, Wales, uh, Australia. You, uh, you work up through local government. And that's what the Green Party did here uh, and, and the Values Party before it. They focused on local councils. Uh, and then ran this massive push for electoral reform uh, with Rod Donald uh, and others that got us MMP. And all of a sudden then uh, you can get into Parliament uh, and that is you know, a significant uh, opportunity in terms of um, getting the change in a wider society that we want. And, and then we kind of lost interest in, in local government because we who get MPs elected. Because national, but yeah, yeah. But what, what has become obvious since then is that you need... For, to do what we know needs to be done, uh, you need s- strong uh, progressive voices at both levels because yeah. you can have the most progressive central government uh, in the world, but at the implementation end, particularly around transport, around waste, around so many of the things that are important, you can be w- frustrated by local government that isn't so receptive and isn't so responsive. So uh, ideally you have um, both um, and, you know, in, in the years when I was in local government and we didn't have quite such a uh, an aligned 
central government, you push on and do what you can sort of in spite of that. But the ideal scenario is to, to have a national direction that matches the ambitions that our community has mm-hmm. uh, and can and support that. But, but there's, nothing, there's nothing official. There's nothing that, you know, the, the cabinet of the Greens in Wellington set the agenda for the year and then they say to their local mayors and MPs, this is what we're trying to do, this is what you need to try and kind of push from your end at a local body level. There's no so kind of there's no official connection that way. It's more of a No, if anything, the opposite is true. Right. <laughs> well you guys push it on a local level and try and send it up the chain. Yeah, or just you know, this would be really helpful if we get this legislative change or this support from from government. And and obviously, you know, the Greens aren't in government and I appreciate that's a semantic argument for yeah. some people, but you know, we don't have cabinet ministers and um, and so you know, that's some of that stuff is more difficult. And the MMP environment is managing different priorities and uh, and personalities, and so it's not as easy as as, it, as I made it sound only minutes ago. But, <laughs> um, but if anything, you know, the push comes from and not just local elected members, but you know, the membership in general are very active and um, and setting the direction, setting the policy of the party, and aren't shy in expressing that. Do you have ambitions to go beyond local body? No, not at all. Not right now. I mean, I have a. Uh, but not right now is different from not at all. Yeah, I mean, never say never. But at the moment, I have a, a three-year-old son. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of going to work first thing on a Monday morning and coming home last thing on a Thursday night doesn't appeal to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the, but this is a significant job uh, that I have, and I'll be doing this for as long as I need to 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 sort of embed the stuff that we've been doing over the last six years, but. Never say never, but no no time soon, that's for sure. And you used to do a bit of broadcasting. You were the um, breakfast host on R1, the local student radio station, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And was you obviously moved away from that path into politics, local body politics, but that was something you enjoyed? Was that something that, you, you know, if you had had the opportunity, you could have stuck with? Oh, radio's great, isn't it's it? good fun, eh? Yeah. Um, working at the university was weird, though. You eventually get a kind of Dorian Gray situation going on where nobody gets any older except you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I pivoted to a world where I get to be young for another 20 or 30 years, <laughs> so that's helpful. Um, no, but radio, yeah, radio was amazing. It was, I had incredible freedom there. Um, I just... Uh, listen to records and read the internet and talk to strangers on the radio about it. And yeah. people paid me to do that, yeah. which seemed remarkable at the time. Yeah. No, it's good fun though. Eh? <laughs> yeah. It's a great job. It's the best yeah. job in the world. One of the best jobs in the yeah. world. If you have if you have the freedom to do that kind of stuff. Mm. Um I was just talking with Jace before you arrived. I was thinking, and hopefully you can confirm or deny, is working do you you haven't done both of these, but do you think that working at a local body level with a council on some levels would be harder than, for example, running the country. <laughs> and the reason I ask that is if you're just under Ardern and you're running the country, yeah. the people you're working with are your team. Mm. They have a similar ideology. They're on the same sort of political spectrum. They probably in general want the same sort of outcomes. But working as a mayor, you know, there are people on the council who are complete polar opposite to you, you know, ideologically, um, you know, whatever, environmentally, and whatever, but it you probably still, exists within the Labour caucus too, wouldn't well, it? Well, but but at least they've kind of got some sort of tacit agreement. We're moving forward together. We're yeah. this is our direction. Yeah. Whereas you know, you're up from the green. There are I don't know if there are many, but there's certainly a couple of and very very right wing um, members on the Dunedin City Council. And so I was, I was thinking, is that more difficult? Because you still kind of have to get around the table and work together. Mm. I mean, I would think it would be easier for a you know either a prime minister 
key or an Ardern to say to her caucus or his caucus, this is what we're doing, let's yeah. move forward. Do you have to be more coercive? Do you have to more kind of convince people about what's going on and bring them on board? I think the key difference is that the Westminster system is by design oppositional um, to the point where it's one of Chloe Swarbrick's favourite facts about Parliament is that the width of the parliamentary chamber is exactly two sword lengths wide uh, to keep your uh, your factions uh, apart. In case uh, you're going to have a crack. That's right. You've got to stay far enough apart. That's right. <laughs> Sounds like there's just a market for longer swords. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in local government, um, it's not like that. There is no opposition. No one has any more influence than any other person sitting around the table. Anybody can turn up on any given day and put forward a, a motion to spend money on X or change the policy to Y. And if you can get seven other people around our table to vote for you, then that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to uh, spending six to nine years in parliamentary opposition, impotent, screaming into the abyss, getting nothing done, waiting for your turn, uh, where you try and you know simultaneously overturn everything the previous government have done and blame them for everything that's going wrong in the country, and then the cycle repeats itself six to nine years later. And and, and I would find that hard. I mean, it's slightly different if you're a I think a local constituent MP because you can get things done for people in your community that yeah. need support with government agencies or whatever. Um, but it, I think it's the, the fundamental advantage of local government is that you don't. That doesn't mean it's. I'm not. I don't mean to make it sound like that's easy to do necessarily. But you have the opportunity to. Yeah. And so you, if you're unable to do that, then the responsibility for that sits with you. It's not. Um, anyone else sitting around the table's fault that you haven't been able to get political support for whatever it is that you need to get done. So. So I've never been into a, a local body open air meeting or debate or anything like that we in my life. Have, we, ever. Shouldn't, we shouldn't have open air meetings. Yeah, okay, so they don't happen. That's why I've never done one. <laughs> oh, they're, they're public, but they're not public meetings. <laughs> okay. Not alfresco. No, okay, fair enough. Um, I imagine national body politics. There's a motion to pass. They know they've got the majority numbers to do it. They pass it. They move forward. Mm. Local body bartering, giving and toing, we've got a motional table. How does it work? So a councillor wants to upgrade the roads, you know, whichever whatever city we're in right now. Yeah. Councillor wants to upgrade the roads, think that's a really good idea, or there's a particular problem in a particular area. What happens then? What's the process? Could you use the C word, the, the C word in Dunedin. Cycleways. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? They, they, so someone re, someone has a passion within the council, one member, yep. that they really want to upgrade the terrible roads in suburb X, be that uh, Brighton and Christchurch, be that Mount right. Roskill in Auckland, be that wherever it is. What do they do? Um, well, there'd be two options. I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd set policy to achieve, like we want our roads to be of X or Y standard. That's what happens when you drop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we don't think the budget's adequate to deliver what we want to do, so we're going to increase the budget for road ceiling or road maintenance or whatever it is. And but it's it, individual... An individual at the meeting uh, can, can, indi- propose that. can indicate that they want to speak and say, I move that we put an extra X million into the road maintenance budget and then... Someone else can say, oh, I second that. Yeah. And then you speak to it and you debate and then you vote on it. And okay. it's it's far more, like parliamentary legislation is far more set piece, if you like, which is I think what you're getting at. And that, you know, someone introduces a bill, it passes first reading, it goes through select committee, it goes to second reading and and all the way through to a committee of the whole house. And then people debate and, you know, largely unless there's a conscience vote, which comes up every now and then, 
most people go into that knowing what's going to happen. And yeah, because if, you, if you've got the numbers, you've right. got the numbers. And you've had months and months, if not years, of this progressing to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. Whereas at a, at a council meeting, uh, anybody can decide to do that at any given point, and there's no uh, heads up necessarily that that's going to happen. And I remember in one of my, it was either my first budget meeting or my second budget meeting, and we were sitting there and, and one of my colleagues said, I move that we charge people entry fee to go to the public art gallery. All right. And someone seconded that. And that was not a debate that I was expecting to have in that day. And that focuses the mind somewhat and people respond um, and debate and, and, you know, the vote was lost ultimately. But it's far more more responsive. It just happened. But that all happens there. Like you say, national body, it might take weeks, months or even years to get to that end point. Someone can propose at the start of the meeting and by the end of the meeting you can vote yay or nay. Yeah. Wow. What the end of that debate. That seems like – that seems – I'm not trying to like I'm not saying the system's broken or anything, but if something comes along and they go and they've kind of obviously this happens, they've they've spoken to people on the council and said, "Hey, I'm going to put this forward, mm. and I, I'm wanting to know if you're on, on board well, with me." It might not have been a surprise um, to everyone. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so because that they know that they can they can steamroll a, a legislation through because surely there should be some kind of thing that's like right, those are the things I'm putting forward so that you can go and spend rather than that like that that moment in the mm. council chambers, you can go away and do your research and say, well, how many people would go to the art gallery? Uh, what will happen if we do put a, you know, so you've got some research to back up. Is it, can you, can you call it like, Hey, can we pause for, can we, can we, can we pause this for now and go to, go do some research? Is there any way you can, if somebody prepared, obviously they've come in with the numbers knowing that they can get it through. And then you've got no, no way of stopping them because you've got no way of being, having an educated opinion. Is there, is there anything to counter it at all? Cause it seems really odd. I didn't know that. There are there are certain circumstances we wouldn't be able to do it. So a council has a thing, well, councils have to have a thing called a significance and engagement policy, and that eff- effectively sets out the threshold for uh, these are the things that you can't decide without going through a formal public consultation process. Right. And it's things like um, you know selling buildings or uh, selling assets or um, you know making making significant changes in the levels of service that you might be offering. Um, you know, those are the kinds of arguments that people raised in that debate, and that was the reason, well, you know, part of the reason why I got voted down. But yeah, there is there is a um, an insurance policy, if you like, through significance and engagement. And and usually, what people will do is say at a budget meeting, you wouldn't wait until. Um, so th- there's an initial meeting, and people will say things like, um, "I move that we go out for public consultation, asking our community if they would support X or Y amount," and then that goes out through. Uh, through the public process and then all that feedback comes in and then you get to the deliberations point and you can say, well, you know, we asked our community what they supported and X number of people said this and Y number of people said that and because of that or in spite of that, uh, we're going to make a decision about setting budgets. So because of that, I now put forward, we're going to pass a vote on whatever they were researching, X, Y, Z. Yeah. Or you can ask staff for reports to come back and say, can you prepare a report for outlining what the implications would be strategic implications, financial implications of charging entry fee at the art gallery. So, or so like, just, you know, use some kind of random, not strawman argument, but it's just some random examples so that there isn't sort of any way to clap to make a buddy. If, if Councillor X came in um, and <laughs> yeah. they had Councillor Y... Well, you know who you're talking about. Councillor, <laughs> no, <laughs> Councillor Y, Z, A, B and C, they've already spoken to and they've, they've already agreed that they'd like to spend $3 million building a statue of themselves mm. in the octagon, mm. for example. 
and they've already got the votes, and they said, right, um, it's not going, it's not a huge amount of money, but I think we can do it. And then, and 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 you know, it didn't fall into the the realm of yeah. um, contradicting the the stuff you're talking about before. Um, and it goes through vote in that one session. Is that statue getting just going to get built? Without obviously, obviously, maybe a statue thing because there's other things like. So RMA what you're saying is like at the at the end of the meeting, if it's a, if the council passes it, is that then basically local law? Well, in that example, they've only got six votes, and the first rule of politics is learning how to count. But um, <laughs> how many? How many is there? You'd need eight. Oh, right. As I said, they had eight. Then. There you go. Well, they might convince those other two <laughs> on the way in. But whatever. Like so, that becomes law. That would be council policy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that would be somewhat career limiting. You know, I mean, ultimately, the public would make a decision as to whether you immortalising yourself in bronze and the octagon was yeah, going to be feel, something that they wanted to support yeah. in the longer I, I term. I feel like more like you know, this is this is eye opening to me because you know, I often look at elections. You know, having somebody who's just voted in the local body because and and also we've got our big ones coming up, and I go, oh, local body, it's not that important. You know, they set the rates. They they made sure we've got money to build out to make sure our roads aren't falling apart. That's what I look after that. Like, but knowing that if drinking you have water that doesn't make you sick, drinking water that doesn't make you sick, flushing toilets. Hey, I'm from Mosgiel, so don't get onto that. That's a sore subject for Mosgielians. Um, <laughs> just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not interrupting you. You're going. Just a really silly question. Are you the mayor of Mosgiel? Is that yeah. part of the Dean? Yeah, the, okay, DC, sure. yeah. the, Dean, the Dean boundary yeah. goes out as far as Hyde. It used to be. We used to have our own mayor. Okay, all right. Yeah, we used to have our own mayor until you strung him up. Until we strung him up because he tried to get rid of our water supply. No. Um, because you know, knowing that I'd you know I'd be I think from now on personally I'd be more I'm going to make sure I pay more attention because if there's if there is eight crackpots on that committee that all that want to radically change Dunedin they can, you know yeah you have a great deal of influence and and how many crackpots are on your council right now? <laughs> I'm not a psychologist. I wouldn't dare offer a view on the DSM. Um, the it's, less, it's probably less than one though. <laughs> But but also the thing people Maybe don't necessarily realise is that you don't electing a new council isn't starting again. Yeah. So you inherit the work of the previous council, and you inherit, inherit the policy of the previous council. When you can change things and amend things as you go through, uh, but the bar for changing an existing policy is far higher than for introducing new policies. Mm-hmm. So to cancel something or to rescind something or to change an existing policy, you need a two thirds majority of council, which is a higher okay. bar. Um, not impossible, but it means effectively means that you can't, you know, you couldn't get eight eight new people on board, and they say, well, we're just going to rip everything up and start again because you can't you can't really do that. You couldn't get eight people on and say, right, we're doubling rates tomorrow, or something. Right. And and your significant and any of your significant decisions obviously have to be subject to a, a formal public process, and which you know, as you say, they, people could ignore that or the outcomes of that if they if they wanted to, but that's not a particularly useful um, career move. If you, want to, if you want to serve one term, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's right. Um, it's a. I'm interested as also. I, I have this idea, and it may be wrong, that Dunedin is primarily sort of a left-leaning city, based on you know two Labour MPs, local mm. bodies. So obviously that's where the vote's gone locally, and it would appear that most of the people running for uh, mayor are either kind of centrist, centre-left or left. That seems to be the majority of those people running. There is one or two right or far right-wingers in there as well. Mm. But it seems that a lot of people are in that centre-left, centre-centre-left to left field. Do you think from being involved in politics locally that would be fair of Dunedin? Yeah, I mean, Dunedin is certainly a Labour town at a a parliamentary level and and always has been. Um, 
traditionally that hasn't been the case. It hasn't been uh, you know left leaning at a local body um, for most for most of its history. So without, I think without I think mentioning the, without mentioning names, Jace, you could bring up those results if you wanted to. Most of the people running for mayor was there an even split between kind of left, right, and centre? All these people, or I mean, I didn't. I did a little bit of research when when I was voting, and it seemed that many of them were. I'm not saying left, left like Green Party members or that, but but were more more centre left mm. than centre right. That's how it felt from reading what they were doing. Yeah, certain, I mean, certainly, um, they people. I am going people, somewhere with this. People question. will self-define differently, but um, there were a number of incumbent councillors who stood for the mayoralty who were broadly supportive of the direction the council was going in, as opposed to trying to change the direction of council, if that's, the, if that's what you mean. The last mayor, was he someone who was, I, I don't actually know where he stood, uh, like politically, was he a centrist, was he more left, was he more right, what do you, do you know of him? Uh, and Dave, Cull was increasingly concerned over his time in local government with social well-being and environmental outcomes. So that implies more left. So this was what I was thinking. With my presupposition that many of those people were kind of centrist to centre-left that were on the ticket, um, it seems that one thing that also a local body doesn't do well, that national body does better, is that, let's say, 60% of those on going for council were centre to centre-left to left. They also They also, well, from reading their policies, right. reading their ideas. Oh, I see. Um, they also then split the vote. And allow people who are more uh, centre right to right to come through the middle. I'm wondering if there's ever sort of a cent- uh, at a local body level election kind of those conversations where, which as you know, if you get on board, it's like is it Bloomberg who's just started to run in the states yeah. and possibly just what the race needs. Yeah, but another billionaire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but allowing a uh, for this argument a right winger to sneak through because the left has split the vote so much. Is that ever a conversation amongst... Because all the candidates are independent. It's not like a Labour Party or a Green Party. They're independents. Is there ever a kind of greater good conversation that, look, whatever happens... Are you talking about tactical voting? I, I guess, but I'm, I'm talking about from your end. I'm actually talking about from the candidates' end. Oh, I see. Um, because I'm sure if any of the other left-leaning um, politicians would rather have a... If it wasn't them, right. they'd rather have a left um, mayor than a right yeah, mayor. Yeah, or vice that. versa. It could go the I same the like, other way. Like, like what you're saying is in the, as if there was two candidates who are both really good, both with similar, very, very similar policies, they're obviously going to split the vote between the two because it's going to become a likability contest yeah. almost. Is there going to be a conversation between those two people about one of them maybe stepping aside? Uh, well, not in Dunedin because we, don't, we have an STV voting system. So when you have a preferential voting system... Um, that doesn't you can't split the vote because people just rank people in order of preference and if they when their person drops out their vote transfers to the next person on the list and so on and so on. So so that means you list them one two three four five etc. Your first yeah. vote is for person X. Person X gets knocked out, so then they go for the second vote. Yeah. Second vote is person Y. They get knocked out. You go to your third vote. So actually, someone on your list is eventually going to be ticked just as they get dropped down. Yeah, if you rank everyone, and yeah. not, not everyone does rank everyone. Because in the first round of voting, you weren't in the lead. Is that no. right? Or and not for a, not for a few rounds. No, is that right? Yeah. So so, do you think that's a point of contention for voters? Do you think some of the complaints are he wasn't fucking in the lead at the start? Why the why the hell should he be mayor? And he hitchhikes everywhere. The bastard. And it comes down quite a lot. Well, we have we have <laughs> we've certainly seen a number of people still coming to terms with the composition of what you could call our first MMP government. 
i.e. the first government we've had in Wellington that's been led by the part hasn't been led by the party that got the most party votes, yep. which is the way that the system is designed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and this is the first time we've had what you would call an STV outcome in a Dunedin mayoral election where uh, the candidate who hasn't had the highest number of first preference votes hasn't gone on to then win. It's happened in um, in Wellington. Celia Wade Brown uh, was uh, wasn't the highest uh, highest polling first on pre- first preferences when she um, uh, took over from uh, Kerry Prendergast up there um, because you know it's not a the system isn't about who your about your favourite candidate getting elected necessarily so much as it is an insurance against your least favourite people getting elected. And right, okay. It's, it's about a, a collective compromise, right? Mm-hmm. So who do we all, who, who, who are we all comfortable with, not necessarily uh, who do we all most like to see get elected to these positions? Does so it's, it's just what you're saying is it's rather keeping out the person you think is worst than electing the person you think is best? Or it's well, a mix it just, of the it two? Just, yeah, it just mitigates against um, vote splitting. So for example, so long as... Tim Shabold is alive and running in elections in Invercargill, he will be the mayor of Invercargill because once you have more than two people in the race against him, then that makes it bloody difficult. But in, in places like Auckland, for example, where they have a, I mean, most places still have a first past the post system for local government. Um, so, you know, there's groups like City Vision uh, and Future West, which are formal arrangements between uh, Labour and the Greens and Community Independence, where they run as a ticket. So they run a, an internal selection process and then put up candidates oh, right? and run because, you know, historically, it was like you said, that'll run against each other and split the, the vote. The citizens and ratepayers, the, um, you know, the National Party and drag. So that, would that win. sounds a little bit like what the American system is. They have sort of a primary. They get their candidates from the primary, then they put them forward for council. Yeah, well, like that Auckland example you just mentioned. Yeah, except it's a bunch of um, broadly aligned but different yeah. political movements getting together and saying, "Hey, look, you know, if we don't work together, then you know we risk splitting the vote and none of us getting elected, and that will be a disaster for our communities. So let's just get over it and get on with it." And there's you know all sorts of internal politics around who who controls those groups, mm. but. Um, that's what you. That's what they have decided is necessary to do in a in a uh, in a first past the post environment to make sure that there is some progressive leadership in their local government. Does there need to be sort of a um, a one? I mean, we we don't have different ways of voting for our national body election. No. Does there need to be like yes. a universal way for doing local body? Yeah. And should it be STV? Is yeah. what you think? Yeah. Why STV over an MMP version? Can you do MMP versions for local? Because oh, um, if it's going to be STV for local body, why wouldn't it be best to be STV for national? Yes. By that I mean national body, not yeah, yeah, capital I know what you mean. national. Um, so what's interesting is that the local government commission are in charge. So every six years, every uh, every council has to do a, what they call a representation review, which is look at how many councillors you have, what ward boundaries you have, if any, um, and you make recommendations and there's public submissions and ultimately though the decision is made by the local government commission. And what we've seen lately is they've moved to, in places like Tauranga, uh, I think Hutt City might be now to Kapiti Coast District Council, they have wards mm-hmm. and so you elect whatever one or two people from your ward but then they have an, an at-large constituency which effectively feels like a hybrid of STV and 
MMP. It's saying right. I need I want someone to represent my local area, which is what we do when we vote for our local MP. Yeah. Uh, but I also want to be able to vote for people who I broadly align with in terms of values and principles that may yeah. not necessarily live in my area, and that's you know the equivalent of the party vote, I guess. Yeah. So I'm gonna. It's interesting to see. So we we go through that process. We've got a, a rep review in this term. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether those sorts of things come up here, but. Because um, we are a single at large, uh, single at large ward, um, but but I think what STV has shown us is that where there are where there are is are, and where there is a greater diversity of candidates, there is a better chance of those candidates getting elected, whether that's um, you know women or Māori and Pacifica candidates or whatever. Um, and if you look around the room at a local government conference. Uh, it certainly doesn't look like the makeup of our population, um, and so you know any opportunity that you have to make it easier for your local representatives to look more like the communities they represent seems to me um, worthwhile. But at the moment, it's a situation where it's up to councils to choose, and it's turkeys voting for Christmas. And why would someone who got elected under one system then turn around and say, "Well, I want to make it easier for a diversity, yeah. a greater diversity of candidates"? It, it's a bit like our favourite American situation. Okay, that's the long one. Um, <laughs> is that <laughs> it would seem that in the American system that one vote should equal one vote, and in this college way they elect. Elect seems to be unfair. What is it? Since 1994, the GOP's only won the popular vote once. And so, in other words, they've run half the time, but they've won as a minority government, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I get impatient with that as an argument, just because, you know, they they won under the system they have. What, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. But why would you but, expect them to win under a different set of rules? But what I was going to say is there's no there's there's no way that half of their government would want to change the rules, similar to what oh. you're saying, because they've been yeah. getting in under those rules, and if they didn't have those rules, maybe they wouldn't be getting well, in. And the, and the Tories specifically. just won in a landslide, quote-unquote, with 43% of the popular vote. I mean, yeah. What kind of a mandate is that? Yeah, it's crazy. But though, that is the system they have, and they're unlikely, they're unlikely to change it. <laughs> Because there's no, no there's no you know, politicians that are self interested lot, Pat. You know that. Do you? Yeah, I've heard that. Um, <laughs> do you have an interest in national international politics yourself? Is it something you follow? Yeah, more than it's probably healthy. Although yeah. these days I don't have quite as much time for it, which is probably good. Yeah, yeah. So what is what is your timetable like as the mayor? Obviously, you take an hour longer to get to and from work every day because you hitchhike. That seems to be one of the weirdest things about the whole <laughs> situation. Like these complaints. Oh my god, it's faster than taking the bus. Is it really? Because yeah. I, I guess you always get picked up. Do you always yeah, get always, picked up? I've always, always been. What's the up? longest you've had to wait to get to as as mayor? Oh, as mayor. Yeah. What's the longest you've had to wait? Oh, at the moment, if I make it all the way to the end of the street, that's kind okay. of okay. But usually, I mean, even before this, uh, I've never waited more than five minutes to get a ride to work. And I guess you get dropped right outside the door. Well, not always. Not always. No, some people go to the university, and that's fine. It's a pleasant stroll in from the university. Yeah. Often get dropped off at the railway station. That's quite good. If people are going through to Bunnings, maybe. What is the choice? Why? 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 Because is there a mayoralty car? Is there a mayoral car? Well, you can take a car. Yeah. Um, but uh, it would be difficult, I would think, to get insurance on my learner's driver's license for the mayoral wagon. <laughs> so you need a driver as well. Yeah, which would be a bit gauche. A driver and a car. We haven't had a, a, a mayoral chauffeur since the 1980s. And no, I, don't, I, I don't intend on going back there. 
Well, you just you just need eight people to get you on there, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> eight, eight people looking for a holiday in three years' time. Imagine imagine how that would have looked. You know, the, the, your first meeting is after being elected, and you're rocking there, and you're like, right, first order of business, chauffeur de limousine for the mayor. <laughs> Second order of business, bronze statue in there. <laughs> um, I'm interested in what a mayor's day looks like yeah. because I, you know, you, there are some high profile mayors around, but probably one of the people. Uh, highest profile in his era would have been a Michael Laws in Whanganui and obviously he did a radio show while he was mayor from 9 till midday so he wasn't doing any mayoralty stuff sort of in the morning in the AM mm. what is your you, you just say not as much time to look at politics now that you used to what mm. does your day look like in general what are your hours to be mayor um, so I get up I mean I did breakfast radio for a long time so I've never really been well, before then I was quite keen on sleeping in but my body hasn't really managed <laughs> to do that ever since so I get up quite early um, I'm quite productive um, before breakfast, um, and so I'll get up and work um, from whenever I wake up until when my son gets up, and then I'm in charge of. So when you say you were like like up at five thirty, up at six, sort yeah, of thirty six. Yeah. Oh wow, okay. So you're working at home. Yeah, doing yeah. doing mayoralty stuff. Oh yeah, well, I mean just you know, re- replying to emails and drafting things and reading the paper. Yeah, yep. nothing. You super get up and you get up and you put you put the mural robe on over your pajamas <laughs> and then go have a cup of coffee and put the aero press on. It's usually an early order of business. <laughs> um, yeah, then I do you know, breakfast routine and then head into work. You know, eight thirty nine mm-hmm. usually, and I'd usually be there until four or five o'clock. Right. Based on and out of the office, coming yeah. in and doing things like this from time to time. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, whenever, whatever evening and or weekend engagements come your way. I mean, the public facing, the job is, there. Are, well, the job is plenty of jobs, but there are two fundamental parts of it. One is public facing stuff, which mm-hmm. is doing events and being out in the community. Putting and the chains on and cutting and, ribbons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Have you had to open any supermarkets yet? No, not a supermarket. Oh. Um, I have been involved in, prior to my mayoral reign, but not one but two rubbish bin openings, which always felt like a peak local oh. government moment. Nice. Uh, have you had any of Didn't those? Didn't make it to the substation yeah. reopening, unfortunately. You haven't, have you had a Have you had a, um, a giant scissors? Um, <laughs> this, are you feel like you've peaked as a mere moment yet? Like as in opening ne- a rubbish bin I'm or a, quite a, nervous. a railway crossing? Or? Um, I did have to, I was in charge of the scissors... Uh, oh, when they opened the football turf, that was quite um, important. But once the Cavisham Athletics Club um, rejuvenated their club rooms up in uh, Corstaphine and obviously council dispatched the most athletic among our number to go and cut the ribbon there, and it's, it's bloody nerve-wracking, you know, because you don't want to get – you only get one shot at it. Cutting the ribbon. Uh, yeah, so it's like that, the whole, what is it? What, what do they do? The, the, the turning over of the sod with the golden the, shovel. The you know, turf, yeah. If you can't quite get, if, you know, if you can't quite get it in because you had a rock, you end up looking like a real numpty. Yeah. What are the... Um, just just a hypothetical example that definitely did not happen this morning, but go on. What are the... Um, what, are, what are the perks? It's my, hammering a, it's my hammering a nail into a billboard moment. What are the perks? What are the, like... I don't want to hear about how wonderful it is to serve your community, that kind of stuff. Oh, That's rats. all boring. Uh, you know, do you get to go to the all, all black games? Are you invited places? Is, is, is there some nice sort of outside the office perks that come with a job? Yeah, people will invite. I mean, we generally, as councillors, would often get invited to, uh, you know, the the symphonia or uh, the ballet and those sorts of things. You know, someone invited me to Elton John. It's very exciting. Mm, nice. Um, Do you have to? Is that the kind of thing you have to then declare, 
What do they call it in uh, national politics? We don't have an interest register like they do in in, in politics. But yeah. there's no, re- I mean, I've got no issues with that. And and I think while it is great, it is also work. I mean, yeah, the, I know that, that that kind of um, soft diplomacy stuff is often contentious, and people like to talk about junkets and perks and those sorts of things. But you know, meeting people and and talking to people and advocating for your community and building stronger relationships with people that can support your community is an important part of the job, I think. Um, but the, the public-facing stuff will take up as much room as you let it. And, I was going to say, some. do you have like an invite every night of the week if you wanted to? Like is there stuff going on that they'd ask you to? Yeah, it would just, it would just expand yeah, exponentially. Right. And so I'm, I'm not – my plan for the new year is to get better at delegating things, um, mostly because I'm quite – fond of visiting my family from time to time and, and burning out isn't particularly useful to anyone. So, so for example, my um, I, I try not to work on a, uh, on a Friday morning, try not to come into the office because um, my son is not in daycare on a Friday morning and so at least we have a window of time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's not always possible, but that's the goal. So you have, you have time and Saturday mornings um, I you know, have dance class and so I don't take... Um, take work on a Saturday morning and delegate that to other people and so that's you know that's important I heard a stand-up comedian talking the other day explaining why he stopped doing he'd tour around the country well it's America tour around America mm. and that's the way he'd do it and he realised after doing it for several years the way he worded it was I I pay to store my family to keep my family in storage in other words he goes out he earns the money his family lives in this house. He never sees them. He comes back. He checks out what's in storage, and he leaves again. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. To, to, you don't want to just have your family in storage while you're off busy doing a million things. And it's and it's and it's difficult, obviously, to manage not just the community's expectations, but my expectations of myself to want to be available to people and do that kind of work. But you know, there's a reason why you don't see many people with young families in politics. It's yeah. not a very family-friendly environment, whether that's in Wellington or in local councils or whatever. What do you think about the PM having a baby in, uh, whilst being in government, whilst uh, leading the country? Oh, I, th- I think it's amazing. It's pretty but cool, if, eh? if you acknowledge that you're in a, a privileged position to be able to bring in the support you need to make that work for you, but you know, that's not something that's universally available. But I think, it, I mean, it's that's great, you know, and... and uh, there was a woman in Hurunui District Council who's no longer an elected member, sadly, but she led a campaign uh, in local government to get the remuneration authority to recognise childcare as a legitimate, in the way that we you can claim mileage if you have to drive yep. a long way to meetings. You can now claim um, childcare costs up to a certain level in any given year. And, and it's those things that you can do to, to reduce the barriers for people, but it's, it's the fun, I mean, fundamentally, the system as it is now isn't a family-friendly world, mm. sadly, and you, know, you just got to make it worth it. Speaking of uh, the PM, of course, we've got national elections next year. Mm. Is there any connection or crossover? Does local body council councillors is there any any role that they play in the national body, or is it? completely separate I'm not talking about your Green Party affiliation but in general is there any kind of connection between the way it's done between the organising of it or is it a completely separate system and never the twain shall meet Uh, it's it's pretty separate I mean people who are elected members will choose to do various things as a as a volunteer of for the party you know and I've got colleagues who are 
representatives of the Labour Party and others who are members and others who are, you know, have been active in the National Party committees and they will all, to varying degrees, be involved in their respective parliamentary campaigns. But, but there's no official having just come, connection. Jesus, having just come to the end of a campaign, the idea of being involved in another political campaign right now <laughs> doesn't really appeal. But, but there's, no, there's no formal link as far as I'm aware. Something else I'm wondering as well, I remember um, one of the times when... Labour went out and National came in. Um, I can't remember who the two MPs were, but it was about the Skyhawks. The National MP was criticising the Labour MP, you know, the Defence Minister and the Shadow Defence Minister. Oh. They were criticising about the, the Skyhawks being mothballed and, and then they changed parties and it was like they picked up their own scripts and then the Labour, who was in an opposition, start, it might have been Phil Goff actually, started using the same arguments to the new Defence Minister about the things that just had been thrown at him. So it was like the seats had swapped but the scripts had stayed in the seats. Is there anything that you have been... Uh, critical of, let's say, the previous mayor, wanted the change of the previous mayor, that now you're in the hot seat, you're going, oh, shit, actually, we've got to push this through, we've got to support this now. There's an amazing episode of The Good Wife, I don't know if you're familiar with that as a show, but um, and it's around the... It's, I, think, I think it's either an attorney-general race or a democratic primary or something, uh, but they there are allegations of vote tampering effectively and someone's arguing the case that, you know, this is outrageous and all these votes should be excluded and the other one saying that you know there's nothing to see here and then it turns out that who they thought was do- was the other side that had done it and then mm. the next day in court they both argued exactly the opposite yeah. as they had done previously um there's nothing not really i mean i think i think there there are there are questions of urgency and whether or not we are going hard enough at the things that we've said that we want to achieve mm-hmm. and i think that's probably you know, broadly speaking, I think you know need to do more of the same, but faster would be how I'd sum up um, my attitude. I mean, I, I find I come from an activist background. I found found it very difficult adjusting to a, a a world where getting something done in three to five years was seen as a great victory. But that's you know things we move. So you on want a, to see things move quickly. So, yeah, so a perfect example is, and, and to talk now Dunedin stuff, maybe yeah. the Dunedin Hospital. Yeah. I mean, what does the council do to help that get through more quickly than more slowly on that slower side? Uh, um, <laughs> so, at a practical level, mm. um, we've been working pretty hard to make sure that we have the staff in place to deal with things like so they will need to apply for resource consents for demolition and construction or whatever and mm-hmm. so we are ready to go whenever they need that stuff done so kind of streamlining to, to that get process that done as fast specifically as for the hospital yeah and but but no different than we would for any significant development yeah. so the the you know the economic development team uh, that talk about you know re, the red carpet not red tape strategy and so if you've got right. any significant project whether it's a housing development or you want to set up a business here or 1.5 billion dollar inner city hospital rebuild for example yeah we would do that for any of those sure. people sure because there's no point so what you're saying in a in a blunt way is you're not giving favoritism to this but it's how it works for any big development but specifically for this one you're setting up the red carpet for rma for resource consents for that yeah. sort of thing what else i mean like what about you know things like staffing and housing and you know all those people who have been working in Christchurch mm. on the rebuild up there could be coming to Dunedin mm. to work on the work on the um, hospital yes yeah, so there's a there's a local advisory group which we sit on uh, in the Chamber of Commerce and the Polytech and the University and the DHB and Pete Hodgson shares that and 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 a lot of 
that is the forum for a lot of those things. So uh, they've commissioned work, um, you know, the dem- a demand side study of what the workforce needs are going to be in Dunedin over the next 10 years or so, not just for the hospital, but, you know, the university is um, building a lot of stuff and, you know, there's a lot of work happening uh, mm-hmm. over, over the next 10 years and then figuring out on the supply side where those people are going to come from. And that's partly about... Well, who's here now, Um, when are they coming off the projects that they're working on now, how many people can we realistically train up to be ready, work ready when we get to the peak of the hospital construction and what is the deficit and where are they going to come from, where are they going to live and how can you develop accommodation if you need to that isn't a container village on the outskirts of town but Mm. something that could conceivably when it's no longer needed for that purpose convert to being public housing or university accommodation or whatever Uh, and those are um, and then it's you know council's job to deliver infrastructure to make sure that those kinds of building projects could happen and so that we deal with that through um, the, uh, through our infrastructure strategy and setting 10-year budgets or whatever. Um, the transport network is obviously significant. Um, you know, this, it's between two state highways, which we don't control, so the transport agency are involved in those conversations. And yep. uh, the flow-on effects of every other road we are in control of. Um, you know, The regional council still run our bus service, so they are involved in trying to, uh, you know, if we can make public transport and cycling and walking safer and more attractive for people then fewer people will need to rely on driving everywhere and that will take the pressure off the CBD because this will be disruptive I don't think we need to be in uh, in two minds about that Uh, as well as obviously you know we're about to dig up the streets in George Street to replace century old water infrastructure because we have to we're running out of time on that and so that will be regardless of what people think about the long-term use of George Street, it will be pedestrian by default because you know we'll be digging up the carriageway and replacing pipes. So, so all the complaints about because now we are talking to Nathan stuff now, but all the yeah. complaints you hear about, um, you know, turning George Street into kind of a pedestrian haven is all of most irrelevant. You're saying because you've got to dig it up for a period of time anyway to fix it. I wouldn't say it's irrelevant, but but it will be disruptive regardless of what council decides well, it, to do with it. But in the if long run. but if the complaints or non-complaints about it aren't going to matter because it's going to get dug up anyway and become a pedestrian only zone for a period, they're kind of at the moment irrelevant. I'm not saying the people are irrelevant, but the comments are if they're complaining about it at the moment. Well, I think if 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 what they think will happen will, is going to happen, it's going to happen anyway. Yeah. But you, can, but you can mitigate that by making it easier for people to not need to use that space. Was was my point? I think. Yeah, I guess. And I guess, I guess the the forward planning that the council needs to do for big big infrastructure, you wouldn't want to do George Street at the same time the hospitals were being done, because then all three of the major thoroughfares from north to south would be tied up. Yeah, that would be less than ideal. Yeah. So, the, so, the, so the work, so the the design work for for the George Street stuff will be. Um, will happen in the next calendar year, in the 2020 year. Yeah. Uh, and the work will start as as soon as it can after that. Is there anything that you're um, particularly keen to do or achieve as mayor in Dunedin? Um, well, is there anything, yeah? Yeah, we need to build more public housing. Yeah. And we need to make buses cheaper. And we need to... We need more people to be able to bike and walk places without fear of death or serious injury. And buses need to be better on the hills as well. Better how? Better, better, uh, more regular, better oh, routes, sure, sure, that sure, sort sure. of thing. Yeah, yeah. I live down in the flat. I live North East Valley and uh, the, great. The, the one good public transport yeah. route we have. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. It's great. 
Um, but I used to live at Mockery and work needs to happen up there mm. in most places. So mm. not, not giving you a job to do, just kind of joining well, in on your still conversation. A, still a regional council concern. <laughs> but, um, so, they're, so they're doing a review of the public transport plan uh, in the new year. Yep. Um, we are doing some work around how we can subsidise fares. So in the meantime, it can at least be cheaper for people. I mean, you know, people coming in and out from Port Chalmers is one example. I think it's 45 bucks a week if you're coming in and out every day and that doesn't stack up for people. And so if you... If you if you're asking people to accept that the CBD will be that the city centre will be disrupted yep. for very good reasons in yep. the long run, yep. uh, at the same time we have to make it easier for people to not have to drive uh, through this through the city centre, and so making it easier and more attractive and more affordable for people to use the bus has to be a, a, a core part of that. Do you personally have an ideology of selling state assets or keeping state assets? Do you have a a personal preference. I've just seen a few headlines floating around recently about paying for things in the future. Is there something in your DNA that leans one way or the other, or is it very much dependent on depends what for? Uh, I've got no interest in selling any, assets, of, local body selling assets, any of our council companies. Yeah. No, no. I mean, there are there are other conversations. So we also own commercial property, for example, and not just in Dunedin. Um, so we own Bunnings and Porirua for historic reasons and so right. you could wow. I think it's a valid question to ask you know, should we be in the commercial property industry uh, and if we are if we do have a commercial property portfolio should we be investing in our own district or in other places and at the moment we don't have a, a, a framework for that discussion um, and, the, and the companies that we have are largely legacies of you know natural monopolies whether through Aurora or you know, City Forest historically we've had a forestry company um, we don't have a, um, a framework or a policy around. Well, you know, should we be looking at having more um, council-controlled organisations, or whatever? We don't. There's no strategic basis um, for that. So, um, but I've got no interest in selling off the companies that we own, um, or you know, selling down the Waipori Fund or any I of those think sorts of things. So often, and this is just this is this is me as a talkback host back in the day, making things simple for people to understand. Mm. So often, I think that the economy, and I, and I would be talking in that situation of a national economy. I guess you could talk the same about a regional economy. It's very similar to a home economy, and I used to tell people that for the assets thing, in an ideal world, you keep your house and you buy a new one. You borrow more and you have two assets. But in a reality world, most people have to sell their house first to buy the second house. So I've always been of the position that neither one or the other is invalid if you can afford to keep your asset, keep your home, keep your Bunnings, Porirua, well, whatever that. Yeah. And and if you needed to borrow more money, borrow. money for you. Yeah. yeah, totally. That's always, always a better option. Um, and I guess it's if the, the, the um, subtext is if one can afford it, if the community can afford it. And, and I think... And what that means is means different things to different people. And I think there's a very strongly held view uh, in some quarters that debt is inherently bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that's so that's the idea. So people's appetite for doing things isn't based is based on you know a magic number. And we are dealing with significant sums of money. This yeah. isn't. You know, a half million dollar house. No, no, no. Um, but you know, we also have significant assets on the other side of your, on the other side of the ledger. So you know, your group debt could be eight or nine hundred million, but your asset base is three point five billion. And you know, if you scale that back, then you know, that's not disproportionate. Um, but that's it's a it's an interesting thing. 
I mean, I, I mean, I get nervous when people try and compare government to a household because I don't, th- in the same way, I get nervous when people try and compare government to a business because they're not quite the same thing and they're mm-hmm. not trying to achieve the same things. But you know, we had people come, would have people come and talk to us uh, about uh, about annual plan, and they'll say, you know, if time, if money's getting tight at my house, I just tighten my belt and live within my means. And I say, well, um, when you bought your house. Did you save up all the money to buy the house mm-hmm. and then go and buy the house? Or did you take out a mortgage to buy that house and then pay it off over the life of the asset? And they said, don't be stupid. I was like, well, exactly. Why would you expect that we would we would do that? Especially when you're paying for assets 50 to 100 year lifespan, the benefit of which will transfer over multiple generations. So we talk about intergenerational equity and that you know it's fair for everybody who benefits from that asset to contribute to, yeah. to that asset. Um, but there's also a, a um, and so in the last long-term plan, council put up a a, a a fairly ambitious capital works program. We're building a lot of stuff and fixing a lot of stuff. Um, and people would come and say, um, you know, five percent rates increase year on year is too much. You should cancel all of these capital projects. But what people don't understand is, and we well, I'll put it, put it differently. What we haven't been able to explain to people as effectively as we should have. That's a very polite way of saying it. Thank you. Is that um, the relationship isn't so? We could have cancelled all of the capex programs, and it would have taken the rates maybe from five percent to four point nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're you know they're debt funded and amortised over 30, 50 years or whatever, and it doesn't. And so it makes it difficult to have a conversation with the community about whether they think something is a good idea or not, because they they um, they think that. They, they can save money by not doing this thing rather than thinking about what is the strategic value of doing it or not doing and, it. And also, whatever the thing is, if, if it doesn't get done today, might cost them twice as much in 5, 10, 15, 20 years anyway. Right. So well, it's, yeah, the, the well, short side yeah, yeah, well, if you're talking about asset renewals in particular, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a, um, for when it comes to personal versus government debt, there's actually a very, very good video by White Man Behind a Desk, if you're familiar with oh, White yeah. Man Behind a Desk. This is a very, very good video. Um not that I'm going to show it, but yeah, it's for you guys to look at there. Um, That's a beautiful shot of Robbie there. Where, um, yeah, he talks about, you know, exactly what we're talking about and breaks down really easily about, you know, that 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 borrowing to build a hospital is a good thing. Um, because, well, especially you now. Know, you I know. think for the Crown, money is effectively free now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's not a, there's not a, you know, there's really been a better time to be even, to be investing. And even for an individual, yeah. I think it's down around 3% for a yeah. mortgage at the moment. So, yeah. All right, listen, the time has come. We're done an hour. Oh, so quick. This is the TARDIS. This is the time TARDIS <laughs> in here. But listen, thank you for coming in. Thanks, Ben. I really wanted to do this because I really wanted to um, look at local body politics in general mm. so other people can get from But also, you're an interesting bloke. We didn't even get to talk about being a vegetarian. Hey, I had a bit of prepared answers and everything. Really? Oh, maybe next time. <laughs> All right, then, Aaron Hawkins. Thank you very much for coming in, Mayor of Dunedin. And I um, appreciate it. All righty, there you go. Ten um, Hey, uh, excited. Uh, I think, I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm 90% sure we've got one more before the end of the year. Well, before Christmas at least. Who knows what happens between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, Courtney Duncan is a fantastic New Zealander. A proud Otagoite. Is that the right word? Otagoite? Otagoan? Someone from Otago. And in the last uh, six weeks or so has just been crowned uh, women's motocross world champion. She is the fastest woman on a motorbike in the world and she is home in Dunedin for her Christmas holidays. Um, she looks like a lot of fun to chat to. She looks like she lives an amazingly fascinating life 
and on Friday morning we will be having a chat with world champion Courtney Duncan. Find out more about us, find out more about who's coming up in the new year, head to our domain, our fa- not our Facebook page, we can go there as well, but our website, which is www.thedoc.nz. There's a little events section there that will tell you who's coming up when they've been booked in. A lot of people on the cards to come up, but I don't put them on the events page until they're actually booked in, booked in. So keep an eye on that and you'll know who's coming up in the next few months. The DOC. Dot .nz as we continue to make sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Uh, if we don't see you before Christmas, have a merry one. And uh, thanks for joining us again. Hooroo.